Computer, initialize Holosuite. evening and welcome to another episode of the fire caves a star trek deep space nine podcast i am one of your hosts perry and i'm your host david tonight we're talking about season three episode 12 past tense part two before we continue you can find us on twitter facebook spotify and apple podcasts and youtube as the fire caves a star trek deep space nine podcast that's absolutely right, and you should find us and follow us, as I say every single week. Um, we do more things there, getting more into all of this um, each week. So, uh, you know, you don't want to miss out on anything. And got some cool <laughs> options for you coming up for both Thanksgiving and um, Christmas down the road. Mm-hmm. So, tune in. But besides speaking about all that stuff, and we're going to get to more of that a little bit later, of course. We do want to, of course, talk about um, this episode, of course. The part, part two of past tense. But before we do all that, I did want to take a moment and um, express my condolences, our condolences, and just mark the passing of the great Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. Yeah. The voice, in my opinion, of Batman. Yeah. Um, there yeah, have been passed away. many actors who have done the voice acting of Batman. Like, he's not the only voice actor to do Batman, but he was... The definitive version. Yes. At least of my formative years, I mean, Batman the Animated Series, that was the the Batman that I first watched ever as a kid. And uh, he was the voice uh, of Batman for that. And then he just kind of, or he did, he was the voice of Batman through many iterations for many years, you know? And um, yeah, again, he just died um, November 10th. He was 66 years old. And I believe they said he had cancer. Yeah, apparently it was like a pretty quick, and, uh, like, uh, like, yeah, kind of just came upon him and took him out. Yeah, which is real sad because he's been playing the character of Batman amongst other things that he's done, but like he's been playing the character of Batman in multiple forms, you know, animated shows, video yeah. games, uh, the Arkham Knight. I'm sorry, the Arkham uh, Asylum video game uh, being the most. No, I'm sorry, there was another uh, game. Uh, Something about pairing up. I forget what it's called, but it's like a Smash Brothers type game. Uh, but yeah, he, he was still playing Batman. Like, the man was still going. Um, yeah. Yeah, he actually he recently did his first live action Batman. Um, oh, it was know the that. first time that we, yeah, we got to see him, you know, in the flesh, still voicing uh, Batman. Um, so that was spectacular because obviously you could see the man behind the voice you know which i mean it wasn't like it was a major reveal like we hadn't seen him before and doing it and everything but it was the first time that it was i guess officially him playing bruce wayne um Ah. batman as well so okay yeah but he's you know between again the animated series then the various you know spots he'd pop up on in different movies and other tv shows um and then of course who can forget you know the justice league when that uh, show first aired, yeah. and he was uh, the voice of Batman again for us. So, I mean, it's it's just sad. I mean, obviously it's sad when anybody dies, but it's like another way to mark 
you know, we're all getting older, things are changing, so forth and so on. But, um, yeah, I mean, he was just that, you know, he was Batman for yeah. for my entire my entire life. He was the Batman that I knew. I, you know, I got into Batman because of the animated series and then going back and watching other stuff and everything like that. It was because of, you know, his portrayal of Batman. Right. Um, and, yeah, now he's now he's gone. So, yeah, quite sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was a real shock to hear that he had passed this past week. Yeah. Absolutely, it was a shock. It just seemed to really come out of nowhere that he, you know, um, that he died. And just shy of his uh, 66th birthday. I mean, I think we officially count him as being 66, but he, you know, his birthday is uh, November 30th. Oh, so he really? Didn't, he didn't, yeah, he didn't quite make it. Oh, wow. So, Man. yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy. I think it'd be weird to die on your birthday. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, would it, would that be weird? Like, I'm sure that it's happened. I'm sure that there have oh, been yeah. plenty of people who have died on their birthday, but I mean, I think it would just always strike me as strange yeah. whenever you hear it. Right. You know? Well, if there are 365 days in the year, that means one out of 365 people are statistically going to die on their birthday. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like like I said, I'm sure that it happens. I'm sure it's far more common than we think, but I still think that it would be strange when you find out that someone died on their birthday. Yeah. You know, so. <sighs> I, don't know, I guess I guess it's like we just deem birthdays as special, but I mean, ultimately, it's just another day. Like, I'm, I'm sure that it's happened plenty of times, but still, think about it. Every person, like, if, if you look at people who've died on their birthdays, I'm sure that it always just seems so unusual. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Yep. All that to say, we're really going to miss Kevin Conroy. I know I went through, like, this weird kind of, you know, sad nostalgia moment, and I started watching, like, my favorite Batman episodes and mm. stuff, just to, like, remember, you know, like, I remember... It was on the Superman show, the Superman, the animated series, kind of, they were following in the footsteps of the Batman animated series. Right. And um, they, when they did the crossover episode mm -hmm. where Batman comes to Metropolis. Yeah. And As it was a great boy, episode. And he's yes. he's sweeping Lois Lane off her feet. And yes. All jealous. And then, yeah. And then when, you know, when Superman, you know, uses his x-ray vision to see who's behind the the cape and cowl, of course. And then Batman one-ups him by following him back to his house yeah, and, like, you know, tags him. Yeah. 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 You know, I was like, that's that's great. Like, whoever, like, even for a cartoon, for a kid's show, like, they wrote that so well. Like, Batman just kind of one-upping him. <laughs> it's like, he didn't, just, he didn't just see who you are. Like, he, one, he knew you had a secret identity, and two, he found you all the way back at your house. Like, right. he didn't have to, like, surprise you or whatever. <laughs> he found you out. Right. So, yeah, just, it was a great episode. And then my other favorite is also in the Superman show, but it's where Batman goes missing. And so some criminals come to Gotham, or not to Gotham, but to Metropolis, because Batman has gone missing in Gotham, and they feel like there's no challenge in Gotham, so they've come to Metropolis to try Superman. And Superman's like, nope, we're not doing this. So he goes <laughs> looking for Batman. And um, he has to, and he ends up impersonating Batman while trying to track down Batman. Doesn't he fight so Bane I thought that was, in that one? He fights Bane and the Riddler and um, the Mad Hatter. Right. And then ultimately it's revealed that it's um, Brainiac has 
injected Bruce Wayne with nanites and is controlling him. Right. He's and so they have to, to defeat. To remake a form. Right. Remake his yeah. form. Dude, Brainiac it's... taking over uh, Lex Luthor in the Justice League show is probably the creepiest that ever got. I was like, oh my gosh, it took it to yeah. level. <laughs> yeah. They did they did that a couple of different times. That was always just kind of the the MO there. Someone being, you know, taken over by yeah. Brainiac or Dark Side. There's a whole arc where Dark Side brainwashes um Superman. And he like ding he almost beats the whole world into submission before finally realizing, you know, what's really what's really going on there. But yeah. Um great great episodes and then of course in the justice league the episode where they're fighting the um i think they were called the royal flesh gang and they're the yeah. ones who all have you know they're all you know different members of the of a deck of cards you know right. you've got the king the queen and then it's ace who's got this ability to you know alter reality right. but she's dying and right. so batman you know like he's the one who Ends up getting her to like calm down and stay there until she dies. It was a very yeah. sad episode. Yeah, just like man, like whenever they needed to do really like somber death stuff, right? Bat- Batman was the one. Yeah, he was the way to go. Yeah, he was great that episode because so. uh, and uh, Wall- Waller says someone needs to go in there and like terminate her with this special device before she, like her psychic powers blow up the city. And Batman, like, doesn't say anything, but he, like, just grabs the device and just, like, walks in. And as soon as he gets in there, she's like, so are you here to kill me? And he, like, I think he, like, crushes the the device or something and basically proves to her that he's not there to kill her. um, And just sits there and she's on the, on the little, you know, the, the swing and, you know, they just, he just sits there with her. He doesn't, he doesn't comfort her in, in any sappy way. Like, she knows right. she's dying, he knows she's dying, and he's not there to, like, make it better in any... And he, he knows he can't make it better. He's also not there to, right. like... Like, he's gonna sit there with her and just, like, if she blows up the city with her psychic powers, it's not gonna be because... Well, I mean, if it happens, it happens. It's basically Batman's perspective. It's yeah. Like, I'm, I'm gonna be here for you. Which is so great. Yeah, because, like... Because, yeah. like, in the episode, everybody else is, like, wanting to fight and confront her. Right. But he just is, like... No, that's not necessary. And, and he, of course, we know that yeah. you know Batman. You know he his parents died when he was a child, so he he can relate to a little girl in a traumatic situation. And he knows that there's no real way to fix the situation. He's just just someone needs to be there with her. Uh, yeah, beautiful episode, beautiful character, and Kevin Conroy just knocks it out of the park. He was, I mean, I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. I mean. Yeah. No one else will ever be able to say that line. That was Kevin Conroy's Batman who said that line. Anyone else, they can have their own Batman, their own take, their own version, but that was his Batman, his line. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, he, he definitely did a lot to really kind of, you know, make that character so huge and dynamic. And like you said, there have been many people who've played Batman, who have voiced Batman, all that stuff, but I think that it always came back to Kevin Conroy, at least when it came to the voice acting and the portrayal, you know, it always came back to him. Um, despite the fact that again, for the most part, he was, it was all animated. His work was all animated. Yeah. We never really saw him, you know, truly suit up and do any of that stuff. He was just the voice actor. And, you know, he, he also excelled at the, the, 
the Bruce Wayne voice. That was not his normal voice. Like some people thought, you know, that was his normal speaking voice. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It's very close, but even he has admitted in many interviews that he intentionally framed that voice a certain way to seem lighter and more playful and joyful because he knew there had to be a difference between Bruce Wayne and and Batman. And he, you know, really worked on that, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, that's just not something that, we saw anyone else really do right you know it was like they it was like even when they were portraying bruce wayne they never totally put down being batman you couldn't really see it as a split with conroy it was almost like you know dual personalities here you know um it just it was a great performance and then it aged up so well like from watching it as a kid to the various video games that he was the voice in to the other different movies which they became decidedly darker and more complex as as time went on you know um but yeah he just he he was it yeah he did such a great job and i'm sad that he's gone i'm definitely gonna miss him i know that there's always gonna be other projects that have batman and stuff in it of course but yeah just the fact that like yeah yeah but like we'll never hear a new Conroy Batman movie. It's like Adam game, West when he passed on. Whatever. Same time. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. You know. But we'll never hear it again. So yeah. just sad. Just sad. Well, now that we've kind of brought the house down with, with <laughs> somberness, um, we can go ahead and switch gears and talk about the real reason that we're here, which is part two of Past Tense. Let's do it. So this episode, just to give the quick summation, is obviously continuing where we left off last week. This is where they've already taken over the um, the facility inside the Sanctuary City. Cisco is basically trying to make sure that no one gets hurt or shot or dies in the standoff. While at the same time, you know, he's dealing with the fact that, as Bashir reminds him, Everybody thinks he's Gabriel Bell, and if history is to be fulfilled, Gabriel Bell must die. So he's just like, um, what are we going to do when we get there? And Cisco's kind of just putting him off. Um, They set out their demands to the governor, which the demands were... um, Get rid of the sanctuary um, uh, districts. Yes, get rid of the sanctuary districts and reestablish the Employment Act or something like that to get people jobs again. Yeah. they attempt to access their version of the net in order to tell their stories, but that gets shut down. They meet with the negotiator and they're trying to establish what they want. And Cisco is kind of backing up the new face of their movement. The gentleman that they had helped out earlier in the episode when uh, his son was sick. Right. Webb, I believe is his name. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, Dax, on the other hand, has, been watching the news coverage with her friend Brenner and has discovered that not only are Bashir and uh, Cisco in the Sanctuary District, but they're in the area where the riots are happening and things right. like that. She makes her way into the uh, Sanctuary District via the sewer, of right. all things, right. and is able to be reunited with her friends. They make a plan to but... escape. Yeah. yeah. You know, she... I always assumed that that was she allowed herself to be captured because we don't see it, you know. But I but it makes sense. Like she breaks into the district where she really wouldn't know where to go, you know. So she kind of just pulls the. I always assumed it because we again we don't see it filmed. I just assumed that she just popped up and kind of did a whole you know take me to your leader type scenario, and they brought her right there. 
Okay. You know? Yeah. It wasn't like she was just full on really trying to sneak around. I think she just knew that she, there was no better way to get to her friends quickly than to be like, take me there. Fair enough. I mean, the only pushback I would have is that her comp badge got taken in the process. But you're right. I mean, well, her comp badge was stolen by that crazy dude who's played (laughs) by, um, it's, uh, something Howard. He's Ron Howard's brother. Oh, and he right. played. He's he's in a lot of things like this. You know, he plays that kind of crazy looking character a lot <laughs> in things. And uh, yeah, he takes her combat, but the other ones bring her to Bashir and, and Cisco. Um, she uses her, of course, her connections and her technical expertise to get them access to the net once again, and they're then able to relay their stories because of of her connections. She's able to convince. Um, Brenner to let to get them the access. Yeah, 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 right. And so, meanwhile, while all this is going on, Kira and O'Brien have narrowed down roundabout when they think uh, the other trio were transported in time. They've got about ten or eleven spots they can beam down to through the time window and scan quickly for them. Uh, O'Brien has rigged the the tricorder to register for a certain type of energy signature, and if they find it, they can beam everybody up. So we watch them beam down a couple of times. Like, I think the first time they beam down, it's like the Roaring Twenties. Right. And they're met by some drunk flappers or whatever. And then the next time they beam down, they're met by some clearly stoned hippies who give them flowers and stuff. And they disappear back to the ship right as they're being watched by those hippies. And the hippies are like, oh, cool. (laughs) Right. And that's the whole thing. It's like, well, who would put... That's why it's okay. You know, that's like the running sci-fi joke. Why is it okay to beam up in front of hippies? Because they're all stoned. Who would believe them? (laughs) You know? And that's kind of what we see here. It's like, well, you don't care. No, no attempt at secrecy or anything like that. We're just gonna, yeah, yeah. dematerialize right in front of you. Right. And uh, what can you do? Right. I would also, you know, what I would say, even whether they were, you know, on drugs or not, that would still probably work. Because again, who would believe you? <laughs> like if someone was to, like right now, right now, we could be standing outside and someone could beam down and then beam back up. And we we would question it. Did you see that? Did right. you really just? Right. And if either one of us is like, nah, that didn't really happen. I mean, you could yeah. legitimately make the other person question their sanity. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. So Cisco then, you know, he tells Bashir and Dax, get your combat back. I want you guys to go and do the beam out. Cisco, uh, Bashir argues, of course, Dax has to go because if something happens, Anybody would be able to quickly uncover that she's an alien, but he's like, you're going to need help. I will stay with you, so we'll get Dax back. Right. He and Bashir, or no, Dax and Bashir go off to find her combat, and that's when we run into Ron Howard's crazy brother. Right. Um, interesting fact about Ron Howard's crazy, uh, crazy, well, portrayed crazy brother. He was actually in an episode of uh, Star Trek, the original series, as a baby. Oh, really? Um, yeah, as a like toddler, I guess. <laughs> and he um he played an alien who was basically infinite years old, but like, you know, never, you know, aged. I guess aged beyond being that size, but of course wise beyond his years and so forth. But yeah, he was um so he's been in Star Trek for quite a while. Playing aliens. <laughs> which I guess makes sense. Right. That's what they say to him. We're aliens. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're aliens. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, here's your badge back. You must, you must be one of the good ones. Yeah. 
So we finally get to the point where there's a confrontation and they are trying to get their demands back out. Cisco ends up getting shot when the governor sends in the SWAT team to kind of quell the rebellion, which we kind of knew was going to happen anyway. Like the whole negotiating thing and, and um, um, getting hostages out. I was watching that and I kept thinking about like every 90s movie I'd ever seen that involved like hostage situations. And that's like always the way that it goes. It's there's this pretense of peaceful resolution meanwhile the SWAT team is gearing up in the background right. to go in and totally stormtrooper the the situation yeah and that's what happens here Cisco gets shot while trying to protect the hostages there's the big you know conflation of the thing and in all of that um the other two guards who'd been in there the whole time um basically agree that we will say that Cisco died or that Gabriel right. died. Um, right. And that's how they're able to escape out of there. And he's now fulfilled the prophecy of, or fulfilled the timeline of Gabriel Bell dying. Right. And we watch as they leave and the two guards are left standing there and they're kind of like, you know, almost like they're they're seeing the world for the first time and the craziness that, sorry. <laughs> I, I must have said, I must have said the key words and the algorithm and the thing turned on. Um, but yeah, so they, it's like they're seeing the world for the first time and really realizing they have to do something to change, to right. change things. And then on the back on the defiant, Cisco is recovering. Bashir brings him a pad, which is showing that how history has been restored only with a slight tweak of the image of Gabriel Bell is not the original Gabriel Bell that we saw die in part one. Right. It is now Cisco, yeah. Cisco's face. Yeah. So, yep, yep. That's essentially it. That's essentially the episode. Yep, yep. That's right. But what did you think of this one? What did you think of the ending now of past tense? Well, um, so I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, I'm gonna have to say that. I mean, I've already I mentioned it last week, but you know, I have very strong opinions about how time travel storing time travel stories should be told, and I feel like this this episode just kind of confirms the problems I have with that type of storytelling, which as we just said, you know, it's not that Graham Bell, the man who actually was Gabriel. Graham Bell, I'm sorry, Gabriel Bell Gabriel. was, um, I want to say Alexander Graham Bell every time Alexander Graham Bell, Gabriel. Anyway, um, it's not Gabriel <laughs> Bell, like the real man in his face or, or lost to history. No, it's Cisco now. Well, does that mean that Cisco, like when he was younger, learned about himself being – no, he didn't. He still remembers it the way it was. And now does the Federation now remember it that way and like they knew the whole time? Like it leaves all these questions about like how does the picture you know, end up coming through history to this moment? And it just it just makes me mad. I'm just like you should have just left you know, it alone. <laughs> You bring up an interesting point because that happens time and again where somebody goes back in time and supplants the original person. And yes. it's kind of like a we always are supposed to take it as kind of like a wink and a nod. Like the timeline was preserved. Right. But we know that it was really this person. You yep. know what? They should That could be a whole Star Trek show in and of itself <laughs> of people who go back and fix the timeline to make the real people be the thing that they were supposed to be. Yeah. Like, exactly. okay, we're going to, because, because I mean, obviously they had to write up some kind of report about what happened. Right. So that could be like, they could have a temporal agency. And it's like, okay, we know that Jean-Luc, 
seriously. We know that based, you know, just I could just see them a bunch of stressed out, overworked temporal agents on this ship that never leaves space dock. Because why do they need to? They travel through time and space, right? And so basically, they just get this another report. Someone walks in like. Oh, Picard's done it again. What? He traveled to San Francisco and his damn android's head got found. We got to go back and fix that. You know, like that could be like the whole show is them just correcting everybody's mistakes to make the timeline work. Dude, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you're effectively describing part of the plot of the the Marvel show Loki. Because in the Loki show, there are people and characters who get outside of the sacred timeline. And so the TSA, or whatever they're called, is tasked with keeping the sacred timeline intact. And um, the events of Avengers Endgame cause Loki to be out of time. Anyway, that's what happens in that show. That's that's actually the plot. (laughs) Well, I have not not watched that show, so (laughs) I did not rip them off. What I was actually thinking of is, in, in Star Trek, there is a temporal agency. Right. And we see them in Voyager, as a matter of fact, and they go to they go to Voyager in particular because they were like they were on Janeway for her various violations of the temporal prime directive. And they make her do certain things to reestablish the timeline to a certain point. There's a couple of episodes where they have to deal with temporal agents who are like, yeah, Voyager was was the cause of this massive explosion or whatever. So we've been sent back in time to stop you from doing this, you know, so like that. So it's like, okay, right. clearly you're, you have that, that Starfleet has advanced enough that they have a temporal agency. So it's just like, yeah, that should, that would be a show I would love to watch where it's just, they go back and they fix stuff like that. So they, um, like, I mean, Gabriel Bell died. We, right. we know that. But I guess the fix here would be to alter the record so that Cisco's face doesn't show up. The original Gabriel Bell's face shows up. Right, you exactly. Know? Yeah. Um, it, it would be a simple enough fix, but I would love the hijinks that would ensue behind doing it. Because they'd have to go back and infiltrate this moment. They would have to cleverly be ducking and dodging behind. Be great as a clearly, yeah, yeah. yeah, clearly stunt doubled actors who were like, doing the scene that we remember in the background right. while we're focused on the temporal agent hunched over a computer, you know, fixing the, fixing right. the picture and stuff. Right. It'd be great. It, and it, yeah, it would have to be a comedy, but it would be an important comedy. Right. Yeah. Hey, Hey, Paramount higher ups telling you <laughs> that's your, that's your next show. That's right. your next show right there. The temporal agents. Right. So I would watch that. Yeah, and again, my... it'd be great as a comedy. Which I mean, Lo- the Loki show is is partly a comedy, um, so that is part of part of it. But um, more more action, you know, being a Marvel yeah. show and all. But anyway, the reason I bring up the whole Cisco being Bell and all that and his picture and it's like, you know, the whole point, the the whole reason ultimately that this episode is a two parter is not because really the plot demanded it, frankly. It's because it left us with the cliffhanger in the last episode. Oh, is Cisco going to have to die in order to save the timeline? And, I mean, obviously we're here in the future, and we know the show goes on for several more seasons. I mean, so when that episode first aired, okay, maybe we can go, oh, I don't know, is Cisco going to die? Is Avery Brooks going to leave the show? Um, but, yeah, I mean, basically what I'm getting at is, like, there aren't any... I, I never at any point really believed that cisco was really in danger it just was like okay i'm just waiting to find out how he gets out of it and he gets out of it because Bashir is there and he just saves him 
Which, on some level, I was like, okay, that's maybe that makes sense, you know. The original guy, he didn't have one to save him, and so yada, 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 things continue. Um, but it, it means that the whole, like, threat of him dying is lost. Like, it, it, it loses its punch, and its, you know, its, its power by knowing that, uh, you know, Cisco's going to be fine on some level. I mean, maybe if some time-traveling shenanigans would actually be what caused him to be saved. Um, so, I mean... I don't know what I'm getting at. You know, it's the it's the difference between like how they do how they do time travel in Star Trek and like Doctor Who. Because what you're talking about, I was thinking about how in Doctor Who they frequently talk about how while he travels all through time and space, there are certain moments that are time locked, which means they cannot be altered, they cannot be changed in any particular way. So once you start down a certain path and you do certain things, you are now locked in no matter what. And there have been several great episodes of that show where people have thought, nah, we can, we can circumvent it, we can get around it, ultimately to be at the very end and... No, you can't. And they're all it's always a sad ending. It's right. always, you know, a kind of a tragic ending when you realize that these these creatures, these characters that you've come to know and love are now locked forever away because there was no way to Same. get back yeah. to that particular moment in time to alter it or anything like that. So it kind of puts a certain rule on it, which we don't have here, right. at least that we don't see in this episode. Right. Cisco is able to escape the fate that should have been, like if this was a Doctor Who episode, the death of Gabriel Bell would have been time-locked. So if he died elsewhere and Cisco assumed the persona of Gabriel Bell, Cisco would have died if right. this had been a, a, a Doctor Who episode. There would not have been a way to escape that. Gotcha. And so. frankly, that makes that's probably a reason why Doctor Who is such a great show, and because they're willing to take those those risks. I mean, it's a different show, different parameters. So uh, let them be different. I'll be I'll be fair there. But again, my point is is that I didn't feel any real tension in this episode because I didn't feel like I had any reason to believe that the story was going to go in any really truly drastic direction. Um, so I was disappointed in that sense. Uh, for that um and like dax i don't feel like dax had much to do frankly she's just there to be a pretty face and convince this guy to just sacrifice his career in order to give the residents access to the internet and like he even says it like i'm gonna lose my license but my ratings will be amazing and i was just like which i mean i love dax but and she's a pretty face but <laughs> well and that's the other part of the episode too that kind of just makes you like I mean, you just, that's again, one of the troubles of the 90s was that they they wrote the character of Dax to be so brilliant. She's this brilliant scientist. And yet, in most instances, when we see her doing anything, she's getting over on people because she's just so shockingly beautiful. They can't imagine not doing whatever it is that she wants. Right. Like, that's why he helped her in the first place. She right. was passed out in the basement, basically. But because he yeah. thought she was, yeah, because he thought she was so beautiful, he stopped to help her, right. you know? And we learned that this guy, obviously he's a person of privilege and, and influence and so forth, and yet he it never had occurred to him to look beyond and to help other people and everything else, but Dax and those eyes and those spots has yeah. gotten him to just reconsider and that hair everything too. dear god yeah. the hairdo she has in this episode man <laughs> man don't even yeah it's like they it's like they intentionally find other ways to make her ugly it's I like know, we're gonna right? 
We're like, uh, yeah, we know that she's beautiful. We know she has great hair and all that kind of stuff. We're going to hide it in this weird... I don't even know what you would call that. I mean, that. honestly, it, was, it would have made much more sense if they had, like, decked her out to the nines. You know, like, that's the reason she convinces everyone is because, yeah, she is that beautiful. She can... Right. She's the one who, like, changes history or gets things back on track because she, like, tells people to go pay attention to that. I don't know. Uh, like, the whole, I think, like, she crawled through the sewers and she then crawls back out and then... We have O'Brien and Kira, and they're jumping through time. And, oh, what do you know? They just barely figured it out just in time. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. of course, that's how these stories go. You always have to, you know, push the characters to their limit. But I never felt like – let me put it this way. I've seen our characters do hard things before. I've seen them struggle to overcome obstacles. And in this episode, none of our characters I felt like really had to overcome anything. Or at the very least, because I know it's a show – I never felt it. The characters in the episode are having to deal with things. And let me be very clear, the acting is still great. Like, I'll, I'll get to some of that in a minute. But in terms yeah, of storytelling, yeah, I was just kind of like, eh, here we go. So, so. so you know how we've often said this should have been a two-parter. Like, we've talked about that with multiple episodes. This should have been a two-parter. Right. I feel like this episode fails to earn that. Yes. And it is a two-parter. Right. It's like they they drew out parts of the story that were otherwise inconsequential. Right. And didn't make us care about the right things. Right. Would be my critique of this episode. Right. I understand they were trying to do a significant I, I, amount I of world exactly, building here. I know exactly what I'm going to say to that. But keep going. I, okay. I have a response to that very thought. Well, yeah, well my, first, my first critique is, is going to be the world, world building here because – it was unique. I feel like it was a uniquely hard problem for them to have because they were trying to fill the gap of a particular part of the timeline from contemporary world to how we get to the Federation. And so they're trying to cover this gap that's always existed in Trek, um, but they also could not give us too many specifics. And so I feel like they were trying to figure out a way to give us a great amount of setting. Right without also nailing certain things down and right. it's it's obvious and i think that it, it stands out so much in the in the episode when you're watching it because you're just like there's just so many pieces missing right and um yeah that that to me is like probably the biggest failing of this as a two-parter episode because it's like you had you literally had two attempts we had to watch part one and now we're in part two part two and nowhere did you really adequately address this to right. make it a cohesive story right and i so there, again there are two things i'd say that and i said the first one already i'll repeat it the reason this episode is a two-parter is because it allowed us to have a cliffhanger ending at part one where cisco claims the identity of bell therefore if he if bell was supposed to have died in the past and we're having to repeat the past and that means that cisco is possibly in danger of dying so that's the reason the episode is given a two-part not because the story necessarily required it like i think other episodes they they didn't have time to you know get to all the details of what might be the ramifications of their storyline that would have made it good for a two-parter this one it was because cisco it gets a cliffhanger ending in part one. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the reason I think that it partly failed. I think you were kind of getting at it. Because we know that things are supposed to happen a certain way, and again, this is getting back to my thinking of how time travel stories should be told, it would have been mm-hmm. much more interesting, in my opinion, if instead of Cisco and, and Bashir 
taking on the identity of Bell or whatever. It'd been much more interesting for Bell to have lived and for them to have become friends with Bell and them to know that Bell is going to die and them trying to balance Ooh. the Ooh. Okay. trying to save all of the benefits of Bell's death and this revolution, but also trying to like salvage things like Bashir in particular okay. is in part one is, is more focused on that where like he's, he's a doctor, but he's like at one point, like he's not a doctor. I'm not gonna, I'm not a doctor anymore. He says like, no, I want the tension between Bashir in episode one to continue through. Like this man knows things he could save lives, okay. but yeah. So what you're talking about, there's actually a Star Trek episode that does exactly this. And it's called The City on the Edge of Forever. It's a original series episode, and it is considered one of the best episodes of that series. Okay. And just to give you a quick summation of that episode, it involves uh, Dr. McCoy gets an accidental overdose, and it drives him crazy. And he <laughs> ends up like fighting off a bunch of people, and he... Um, beams down to this rogue planet where the guardian of forever lives and the guardian of forever is this giant gateway that's kind of like a it it keeps a record of all time right and okay. of all space and mccoy accidentally jumps into this thing which puts him back on earth in like the depression era okay. and so spock and kirk have to go back and get him because um they see from the Guardian how time has changed because of something that McCoy did when he went back in time. So they had to go back to stop him from doing whatever it was he did. Okay. And so they're there. So they go back in time. They're trying to find McCoy and then figure out what it is that he's done. Right. Meanwhile, while they're doing that, they end up staying at this like soup kitchen slash shelter right. that's being run by this woman who's a social worker. Her name is Edith Keeler. And Kirk gets real close with her. They become friends. They become a little bit more than that, you know. And she's she's very also she's very intuitive, you know. And she like knows certain things about them without actually saying it, you know. And there's some pretty pretty interesting moments there. And then they are finally able to track down um, McCoy, and they start to realize where the split in the timeline is, and it has something to do with this woman. They're just not sure what it is that McCoy does. Until at the very end. So at this point, Kirk's already fallen in love with her and she's obviously digging him and they're together and all of this stuff. And then the realization is she has to die. In order for the timeline pre to be preserved, she has to die. And that's what McCoy did that altered the future. He had saved her life. And so in the last moment, Kirk has to stop McCoy from saving her. And he does. And they basically watch her die in front of them. And it's just, it's a sad episode. It's a sad yeah. moment, all of it. That's and they get back to the Enterprise, right? Yeah. And they're just, and like, McCoy's all bitter and stuff. Because he's like, I could have saved her. Right. You stopped me. I could have saved her. And he's just like, do you have any idea what you did? And, and Spock's like, <laughs> yeah, he knows. And like, Kirk is just completely distraught. Right. Because he, you know, he let her die. Yes. And um, it's a it's a great episode, that's, but yeah, it does yeah. exactly what you're talking about. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like, and you just, that's a brief summation, and I automatically can yeah. tell that there's more passion in that, epi in that oh, episode. Oh, yeah. It's it's great. It's a great episode. Like, even, they even have funny moments. Like, there's a whole thing where, where Spock is trying to build a radio to contact the Enterprise, and right. he can't do it because the technology's too primitive. So, in the most 
logical Vulcan way possible, he's bitching about the quality of the of the <laughs> materials he has to work with and how he can't do it. Right. It's great. So yeah, um, there's just stuff like that. That's um, and then that, there's a scene where they have to describe how why Spock has the pointed ears, and so again, a lot of funny things. Right. But an overall very serious, very tender episode, and right. it does exactly what you're saying. Like. The main person is alive, and they protect the timeline by letting them die. And that would have been a great way to to do this episode as well. And it would have made right. for a great callback to that original uh, series episode for them to do that, kind of follow the same right. beats and stuff, and make yeah. this episode. Would have been great, but they didn't do it. Yeah. Didn't do it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I did say that there was something on this episode I did like in terms of acting. Yeah. And again, who else but Avery Brooks, he steals one particular scene where he just nails it. Um, so I bet, one of the I, bet guards, I know the scene. Yeah, yep. the, Go ahead. one of the guards the guard. gets he's, – he, he's the older guy, and he's all curmudgeonly and like you guys are a bunch of losers and failures. And um, at one point he tries to get up and leave, and the crazy guy that has a gun and who started the whole little – you know, revolution uh, threatens to kill him, and so Cisco pulls a gun on that guy and says, "If you kill him, I'll kill you." You know, little Mexican standoff, basically. And uh, so Cisco saves the guy's life, and he grabs him and takes him into a back room and starts getting in his face and yelling at him, like, "I'm trying to save your life!" And the guy's just like stone faced, like, "This ain't. Yeah. What are you doing? This is, you guys are terrible. You're never gonna get out of here." And it's great because I, as a person, there are so many times in life when I just want to yell at something. Like if I were in that situation, like I'm watching a movie, if I was in that situation, I'd just tell someone what for. And Avery Brooks tells the guy what for. Yeah. And it was so cathartic because and he's really going at it. And Avery Brooks is like breathing heavily at the end of the scene. Like the man was actually yelling. <laughs> he actually was yeah. breathing heavily. And he was emotionally invested in the character's portrayal. I, I don't I can't think of anyone else even on TNG who ever had a scene quite like that. Um, maybe no. Kirk. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, Picard. I mean, from the original uh, series, Picard. Picard was great at giving very controlled, eloquent speeches. Right. The kind of passion that you're talking about here was just not really evident. Even when at in the few moments that we actually got to see Picard be angry, it was the most. Controlled. Righteous of angers, yeah, right? And exactly. it was always, yeah, it was still controlled. He never really just like Avery Brooks. It's his whole body is into it. Like you could almost be like you. I mean, obviously the lighting and the editing, they do it up, do it enough of it, but you know that he was sweating when he was doing that. Like right. I was watching that scene and being like, you just know that he's got like beads of sweat here while he's yelling at this man and telling him, you know, you don't get it, you don't see what this is about. And well, Benny is supposed to be that kind of embodiment of. The indifference, the the cynicism that has really made the sanctuary districts fail yes. so spectacularly, and it's so great. And, and Avery Brooks is confronting that here exactly. And yeah. I want to really emphasize, like that's what's so great about the scene, though, is because Avery Brooks plays the moment with such passion and emotion and anger, and such like he's losing it at the guy, mm. and the guy is stone faced the whole time. And part of the reason I like that Avery Brooks went there is because if any other actor had had that line had that role they would have given a passionate speech but it wouldn't have been mm -hmm. so just ah avery brooks is 
like it's practically spitting. He's like just everything yeah. is coming out. Yeah, of him. he is. Um, like I've tried to save your life. Don't you understand? You just don't understand anything. Do you? Like he's going for it. Like even uh, Riker. Um, what's his face? He plays Riker. Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. He has some harsh moments, but it's more like that. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, he he learned from he learned from Picard. So again, yes. he's kind of. He's he's a bit more indignant, but he's definitely still more on that righteous path right. here. You know, he's he's not going to go for it as much. And I love Avery Brooks's delivery at the of the last part of it. He's like, I want you to get back in that room, sit down, and shut up. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's just like yeah. it, there's there's no kind of like de-escalating because like in that situation, if it was Picard, he would have. Even at the height of his anger, he would have, again, controlled himself, brought it down a bit, and then he would have offered some kind of olive branch. Right. You know, I know you're frustrated. I know you're scared. Right. I'm trying to make this, you know, that, that would have been how he ended his. Cisco's right. like, nope, I'm not giving you anything. Right. Get in there. Sit down. Shut up. Am, you know, like, that's it. I'm hanging that's on it. by the skin of my teeth, and I'm not going to put up with your bullshit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, uh, I love that scene because it, it really it really makes the character different than Picard or anyone else. He he is his own own man, and that's what makes the character unique. He's he it lets his emotions show much more readily than other characters we've seen. Yes, he does. He's very he's very passionate. He doesn't make any excuses for it. Right. He's perfectly fine with displaying it, and it works to his advantage pretty much every time. Like even in this situation, he seems to impart to Vin here that you know. You're not you're not seeing the whole picture, and you're also not seeing the whole picture because you choose not to. Right. You know, he he confronts. He was like, "You don't have any kind of you know." Because Vinny was saying, "What do you what do you want me to do here? What do you want me to see? Like have compassion for them or whatever?" And and uh, Cisco's like, "Yeah, it would be a start if you did. Right. You know, like that's that was his challenge to him because right. he's clearly yes. saying, "Yeah, you don't." You don't see them as people. You're just doing a job. Right. You're just an employee here, but you have. You know, you could have power, you could have say, you could influence this for the better, but you choose not to. Right. And that's kind of the, if it's the one moment where I feel like we kind of, we now see the whole point of everything else that had come before it. Right. That's the criticism they were making of the whole system is that, you know, you've got all of these people who are working here in this facility and they're the security guards and all the rest of them who could be voices to make the situation better for the people in the sanctuary district. But they've become so indifferent, intolerant. They would rather make up, you know, euphemisms and nicknames right. for the people who are clearly struggling and suffering in here rather than trying to help them out. And I think that, you know, that's something that we also do in our own society when we label people a certain way, like rather than trying to see their side right. of what's going on or anything like that, we would rather brush them off and call them something right. and sum up their entire movement, perspective, whatever, as, oh, that's just the problem of you know, XYZ group, you know, fill, fill it in however you need to. Right. And what they're saying here is, you know, that's wrong. Like these people, they, they are valid. They have a, a right to be angry, to be frustrated, to want better for themselves to have a better life. Right. And you shouldn't dismiss them and you shouldn't squirrel them away in some area like this, that moment, which is only like, maybe like what, three minutes in the whole episode. Right. That one moment is kind of like, 
yeah, and a great explanation for everything that had come before, solidified, summarized in a very um, powerful way. And I wish they had given us more moments like that instead of giving us this very slow walk up to that. Which is why this episode shouldn't have been, to go back to our original point, shouldn't have been a two-parter. Yeah. They could have done a lot of this without that. They could have. Unfortunately, they could have. Um, but going back to why that Avery scene, being so passionate, scene works, is it actually does tie in, as best as they could do, to the whole Bell gets shot moment. Because he does jump in front of the SWAT team uh, shooting, and he... The, the guard guy has gotten up and the, the, the SWAT guys shoot and they shoot at the guard and Cisco takes the bullet. Again, it's for me, it was a little too quick for Bashir to be like, oh, I got this, basically. Like, five seconds later, it's like, ah, oh, no, he's going to be fine. There wasn't any tension. There wasn't like a five, ten, fifteen minute long sequence where, you know, Cisco is dying because he actually lived out the life of Bell to the minute, to the, to the, to the T. Um, but... He does, but what I'm getting at again is that he does save the guy's life, and the guy says, okay, you do care, and then that leads them into, like, he changes his mind, he sees, the, the guard sees all the dead bodies, and said, how did you let it get like this, and uh, Cisco says to him, and I, I'm, again, I'm not, I don't like that they do this, because it's like they're contradicting themselves, where Cisco says, uh, tell the truth about what happened here, at the same time as they're going to plant their IDs on some of the bodies. So it's like... Mm -hmm. The whole, like, we have to save the timeline for the future and the Federation versus tell the truth of what happened. It, it Don't tell time well, travel like, stories unless you're willing to really go hard into the details. <laughs> I'm just yeah. say it again. Well, and it's like, and again, it's a part of that that aspect of time travel, the way that it's done in, in Star Trek anyway, that they're always trying to say that, you know, people are so much better than how they're initially introduced or portrayed, right. that there's a potential to be so much better. And so they're depending on these people that they leave behind to lie for them. Right. And it's, and we're just always left to assume, well, of course they lied. And of course they kept that secret forever because we see that the timeline was restored and everything was perfect and, you know, whatever, you know, that's the, that's probably the biggest conceit that they have in Star Trek when they do these time travel stories. I was just thinking of the first Contact movie. And that whole movie depends on not just like one or two people keeping the secret, but like scores of them. Because there's a whole scene where they're like working with people from a whole, like they're working with a whole community from a different timeline. And they're, you know, teaching them things and they're doing all this. I don't want to spoil it for you because I know you haven't seen it yet. But there's like, <laughs> there's just this whole bit. When, when you get there, when you watch it, you'll be like, this is the scene this is what he was talking about but that's exactly what it is because they have to make sure that this certain thing happens by a certain time so they need the community to pitch in and help out and they do it so i'm like okay even if you didn't tell everybody the whole truth you there are enough bits and pieces out right. there that no one no one person would have been able to refute everything else but yeah it was just we promise, and at the end, it's like, we promise not to tell anybody. Right. And then they go back to wherever, and we're just like, yep, that's it. No one no one tells anybody. Right. Now, to continue the Trek lore in the timeline, there's actually, the first Contact movie is is um, theorized to be where the Mirror Universe begins. Really? So, yes. So, 
we've already seen bits of the mirror universe and we know like if you've watched the the original series that was where the mirror universe you know first originated as an idea in star trek right. um but when they try to pinpoint a moment where the timelines diverge to create this alternate mirror universe where things are terrible it's that moment from the first contact movie and they hint about it in the Star Trek show Enterprise. Hmm. And it's that um, Zephram Cochran, the uh, inventor of the first warp engine, he's the focal point of the first contact movie. And so in, in the show Enterprise, he tells a story about what happened at first contact. Right. That is the actual truth, not the one that he told that leads to Starfleet, but it's the other story. So according to the way that the timeline is supposed to work and, div and diverge and everything else, um, the story that he tells, whereas in, in the Starfleet universe is taken as a joke, in the Mirror universe is taken seriously. So then when First Contact happens huh. on their side, there's the there's the split there's the divergence huh. yeah gotcha so huh. but we'll talk about that later because you haven't watched that movie yet and i don't want to spoil it for you any more than i have <laughs> telling you that zephram cochran's in it but gotcha. i mean yeah well i just so. looked it up 1996 and if we're in 1994 mm -hmm. right now with deep space nine that means that we got a while to go before i guess i'm allowed to watch first contact not really. You just need to watch. Well, so we're in season three. So, I mean, yes, when season four, once we get probably three episodes into season four, you could watch it. And it doesn't really do anything to the timeline. It's Worf. just, it's just, it yeah, Worf is the, you know, I mean, Worf, that's the, that's the issue is like, I want to get you to where Worf is a part of Deep Space Nine. Once that happens, then you can watch the other. Okay. Show. It Got it. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, we are. We are definitely getting there. So, final thoughts on this two-parter that shouldn't have been. Yeah, I think we've already hit all the high points, all the major bits. Um, again, a lot of tech, trek no babble in this one with O'Brien. And uh, <laughs> you know, it makes you just wonder, like, has anyone, villain or otherwise, ever considered finding these particles and making a attempt to change the past? I mean, pull a Terminator on, on anybody? I mean, you know, it. The, when you introduce the ability to travel into the past, as soon as you do that, you open up a whole can of worms. And so, all right, okay, we're just going to pretend like no one ever really contemplates solving this as a permanent solution to or, or, or no one there's no protector of the sacred timeline I, mean, I guess if you're saying that there actually is in star trek a protector of the sacred timeline um in that episode from the original series i guess i'm wrong there but anyway it yeah i've, I've hit all the major points i had to say about the episode i a lot of episodes deserve two-parters i think this one could have been condensed down to the one with my yeah. uh, recommendations for how to instead of instead of focusing on our main cast as the actors that move things, it would have been interesting to see them be observers and desperately trying to not do too much to like change things, right. as you said, like that original episode kind of did with the uh, with the uh, Edith Keeler. Yeah, 
so yeah, if you're ever if you're ever just wanting to see how an uh, how an episode like that was done in the '60s, go and watch it. It's the city on the edge of forever. Um, again, uh, the original series episode. It was the 28th episode in the se- in the series, and I think that's the first season. So yeah, because that was back when we they pumped out shows like candy so um yeah so yeah 28 episodes in a season we don't get that anymore for sure quantity um over quality or hey i mean this was clearly quality again it was it's considered one of like a a must watch episode for hardcore fans like if you are going to say that you are a star trek fan and haven't seen city on the edge of forever you are not a star trek fan there are certain episodes that are like that um so yeah you you just have to watch them so if you haven't seen it yet Go watch it. Yes, it's dated. Yes, it was the 60s. You're going to have to deal with and look over and gloss over a lot. But still, there's a lot you can get from this episode that informs you about the characters that you know and love and so forth. So it's still a great one to watch. So go do it. Um, My final thoughts on this episode, again, not bad. Like Once you take out some of the filler moments, it is a great episode. Like I wish they, it had been condensed down to give us more. I do understand why they were trying to um, you know, kind of do this bit of world building here, but it often comes off as very um, flat and, and ambiguous. So there's just not enough here, in my opinion, to make this episode um, really, you know, pop the way that it should have. Right. And if they had condensed things down or given us a bit more complexity with some of the other characters, other characters, not like, not our main three that are in this, but other people that were supposed to be important, this definitely would have made for a better episode. Um, Again, still good overall. I still like how it works in the overall timeline of Star Trek. I do, as I said last week, they have, you know, kind of retconned a lot of this in other Star Trek shows, in particular Picard. And Picard kind of addresses some of those things a little bit in the in the same area. They're also in, you know, in California in those episodes as well. But they help to kind of explain how it's a bit more contemporary. So it's unfortunate we had to wait 30 years, basically, to get the necessary retconning to address some of this. But, hey, you know, right. it happens. Right. But yeah, um, I would still say it's an episode you should watch. It's still a great episode. Uh, Avery Brooks gives a great performance, as always. Um, yeah, we we like it. Right. So. Yep. 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 Now, uh, so now, just want a, a quick update. As I said before, last week, you know, um, Lower Decks is over. Prodigy is in full swing. Um, it is a bit more of a kid show, but if you're just needing your Trek fix and the watching reruns isn't working for you. You should definitely go check out Prodigy. Um, the story, it's coming along. I will say that. I don't want to give any spoilers on it, but the story is coming along. Um, now, this week, we've got... Um, well, I'm going to be doing preparations for Thanksgiving for the rest of this week. Because, you know, yeah. Thanksgiving is actually next week. Yeah. So I want to be ready. I want to film some things. I've been trying to go back and forth on how I wanted to do it. Like, did I kind of want to do, you know, like a almost like a, a cooking show type deal or not. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't really have the infrastructure for that. And I don't want to try to invest to get it in, on such short notice. But what I am going to do is I will film like short clips or whatever, and then just put it together into just one video that will probably not be any longer than like 60 seconds, 10 minutes, 10. I was going to say 10 minutes at a max. Cause 
though there's one thing in particular that I want to make that I know it's a bit involved. So that one might take several different steps. So that might make it a little bit longer. But yeah, that'll be it um, for that. So stay tuned for that. It'll be on our YouTube channel, of course. And you can tell me, you know, pass fail. Would you eat it? Wouldn't you eat it? <laughs> so forth. Okay. Sounds and good. we'll go from there. All right. <laughs> Well, guys, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. As we say every week, until next time, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.